Welcome to the Officer Media Group Roll Call Podcast. Officer Roll Call is meant to inform and entertain. Now, let's get into this episode. Hi, welcome to this episode of the Officer Roll Call Podcast. This is Paul Peluso, the editor of Officer Magazine. I'm joined as always by Frank Borelli, the editorial director of Officer Media Group. How's it going today, Frank? Going pretty good, Paul. How are you? Hey, pretty good. We're uh, coming up on close to the end of the year. Uh, we have this episode and our last episode of the year will be on the Station Design Awards. Um, we'll do that in uh, in two weeks after this one comes out. Um, but today we're going to be talking about uh, vehicles and fleet and specifically our vehicles and fleet special section, which will be in the November, December issue of Officer Magazine. We have three articles that are going into this section. Um, that we'll be discussing. And to start us off, Frank, can you just talk about just some of the trends that you've seen in um, in vehicles just recently uh, in law enforcement? Well, I think the biggest one we see for quote unquote recently is the the move away from sedans, right? Um, we we For so long, we had sedans and, and it was the oddity if you saw somebody and anything else. And now sedans are actually the oddity. Uh, we've moved to SUVs and pickup trucks, um, you know, the midsize, full-size SUVs and, and the full-size pickup trucks. And I think that's the largest uh, change or shift that we're seeing. The, you know, the, the growth of electric vehicles, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more. We have that that article to talk about the electrification of, of police vehicles. I, I'm not, I'm still of mixed emotions on how that's going to work out in the end, Paul. It's a big move right now, but uh, I'm not sure that the, the capability that's necessary is there, but I guess we'll get to that. Yeah, of course. And yeah, the, the biggest change, like you said, has been that move away from the sedan uh, in this year's Michigan state police vehicle evaluations. Um, they, they didn't have any sedans entered. So the, the Dodge charger didn't have a new model that they sent every year. They sent the, send the new model uh, and even two new models of the charger and this year it was it was absent um you know dodge had the uh the durango there but not the charger so yeah. the you know the the smallest model that was there was the um ev that gm fleet uh the chevy blazer um ev compared to the other ones because that's more of a compact crossover but it's still not as low to the ground as you, you know your traditional sedan, and I do believe that the the interior space of that compact crossover is bigger than your sedan. Even those you know big boats they used to drive back in the day, your uh, uh, Crown Vicks and my Crown Vic that yeah, I still miss. Yeah. So in that, if you can, before we go into this article, can you talk a little bit about? The, the space and how, you know, officers need more space Do these new, you know, SUVs and pickup trucks offer a lot more space than even those old models did. Well, sure they do. You look at a, you look at a, a full size pickup um, or a full size SUV and you have a ton more space. Um, the storage space in the back is, is certainly much larger than you ever had in the trunk, at least if it's perceived that way. And you really need the room inside the passenger compartment, Paul. I, I, obviously anybody who's never been in law enforcement, doesn't really know what it feels like or the challenge. If you're if you're wearing a full uniform, including your body armor, right? You've got on a gun belt, which may be holster on the belt or it may be on your thigh. 
you go to get in even a charger, it was tight. I mean, you had you had a, a squeeze between that center console and the door uh, just because of the extra stuff that you were had to wear. Um, it's much more comfortable in the full-size pickups and the full-size SUVs. Even the mid-size SUVs, the Explorer, the Durango, they they are more comfortable than say that Charger sedan was, but they're still not as comfortable and as roomy uh, as the interior space of the full-size SUV or pickup. And honestly, these calling like this EV, it, calling it a crossover, um, it, if, if you're shrinking down smaller than a mid-size SUV, you're really not doing a service to the person that's got to sit in the driver's seat all day. I'm not, not a fan of this crossover idea uh, for law enforcement vehicles. Yeah, so you know when it comes to the um, the vehicle evaluations that Michigan State Police uh, did, um, again this was for the 2024 model year. They they do this annually in the fall, um, split between the Grand um, Raceway and uh, Chelsea Proving Grounds, which is uh, home of uh, you know the what used to be FCA, uh, which is now I don't know if I'm saying this right, Frank, but Stellantis. Um, they, they own, you know, the Dodge brand, um, now, uh, and, and so they, they do the testing in these two different sites and they bring them through uh dynamics testing plus acceleration and, um, top speed speed and, uh, braking testing. And this year, 12 models were submitted. I, of that included, um, um, models of SUVs, um, the the EVs in the in the pickups, and basically one of the things that uh, Lieutenant Nicholas uh, Darlington from the Michigan State Police Preci sorry Precision Driving Unit um, noticed the most is just the consistency of these vehicles um, this year and kind of year to year that you know the automakers make very consistent models that right. do what they're supposed to do that there's not a lot of variation you you get a little bit you know of course if you go from you know that uh that full size pickup truck uh down to you know your crossover ev there there's going to be some some variation there but that just overall that he said even with the pickup trucks they handle just as well as the suvs um do and that I believe the uh, Chevy Silverado it was built on like the same um, has the same package as the Tahoe does. So the braking and everything works as you would want it to, uh, which, of course, is very important. So um, can you I know we've, we've talked about this testing in the past. Can you talk a little bit about how, you know, the Michigan State Police testing helps you know agencies when it comes time to upgrade or uh, add to a fleet? Well, I mean, obviously, the intelligence and data that comes available, not every agency, when you think about the 18,000 law enforcement agencies in North America, remembering that well over half of them have less than 100 officers, how many of them really have the ability to go out and test every potential patrol vehicle that's available? Uh, they, don't, they don't have the space. They don't have the, the technical expertise. They don't have the, the manpower. Um, even the biggest agencies out there uh, have stopped doing it dominantly because Michigan State Police does it for everybody. They do it very thoroughly. They offer these comprehensive reports, and then agencies can use the information 
when they're making their selections for what they need to purchase. And, and the other thing to remember, too, is most agencies, even the small ones, they're not just buying a single type of vehicle. So when they look at the reports for Michigan State Police, um, you know, and, and they know that they need one pickup truck, they need four new patrol vehicles, one of them needs to be full size, three of them can be mid, then they can look at the Michigan State Police report and make their selections rather than having to spend you know, one of their one of their command staff or or whoever their fleet management uh, officer is, rather than him spend weeks or a month trying to figure it out, you've got a ready source that offers all the data. Like I said, it's very comprehensive. They test for so many different performance um, capabilities, and then uh, they include all the information about the design specifics. It's why would anybody else repeat the process? They do it. They've been doing it for years and are respected in the field for it. Yeah, those are some great points, Frank. Yeah, they, they do a good job over there. Um, I want to move on to the next article uh, in the special section. It's You wrote this one, Frank, about off-road capability um, for law enforcement vehicles and how now you, know, you have to have different options. We're talking, uh, of course, SUVs, but pickup trucks and even UTVs and ATVs to be able to traverse different terrain, um, depending on what your jurisdiction uh, has especially in a lot of those rural um, communities. And I know we always talk about how, you know, uh, most of the police departments in the U.S. are smaller departments and smaller, you know, rural communities where you have, you know, it's not all city driving. You, you have to be able to get places that you can't necessarily go, say, in that Dodge Charger. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, you know, what, what you, uh, reviewed in this article and kind of some, some of the things that agencies have to keep in mind when purchasing a new vehicle or trying to find, um, you know, something that they can use in some of these areas? Well, just like you said, you know, we, especially with the sedans and it's actually probably part of the evolutionary process for, for patrol vehicles, sedans are limited in where they can go. You know, there used to be a running joke. Uh, when I, I used to off-road quite a bit in a Jeep and uh, had a friend of mine who bought a, a Mustang, you know, the 5.0, he's super fast. And he's, he'd, he'd pick on me and he'd say, hey, do you want to race? And uh, my joke back was, sure, let's race for a mile. You pick the first half mile and I'll pick the second half mile. Because his half mile was going to be straight flat road. And he was going to go 100 plus miles an hour. My half mile was going to be something with a foot tall rock that he couldn't get over that I was going to go over with my Jeep without a problem. Um, and the reality is in law enforcement, you have to be able to go wherever the criminals are going, or you have to be able to go wherever is necessary to serve the public. And uh, especially after COVID and in recent years, we're seeing a big expansion of interest in the outdoors and the quote unquote, getting away into nature. Um, and that's putting a, a demand on law enforcement that is in and around those areas, whether it's a park police force or a state police or county police that or sheriff's office, even if it's a search and rescue folks, if you have to go over that broken terrain, you can't just stop and go, oops, the sedan's not going to do it today. I guess we're not going. You have to find a way to get it to happen. Now we are blessed. We have the pickup trucks and the SUVs and the all-wheel drive and, and four-wheel drive vehicles that have the, the higher clearances and the better capabilities um, and usually I think the agencies that have the truly special needs out areas um, where you don't even have a path wide enough for a pickup truck or a midsize SUV, um, then you get the ATVs and the UTVs. And we're seeing UTVs designed today 
explicit expressly for this purpose the, you know the utv ambulance that's equipped to go into the wilderness load up a, a stretcher um have hanging for uh you know the hooks for hanging ivs and all that and and they're they're special purpose and they're absolutely necessary we we have to remember we can't only police protect and serve where those comfortable sedans go we have to go wherever the people go when when we're serving them so it's 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 really unique when you look at it for everything from bicycles to four-wheel drive trucks that are properly equipped and, and modified uh, with trained drivers. And this is the one last point that I'll make. Even the military sends people to special schools to drive off-road. Um, here in the, the East Coast, uh, I know there's a gentleman at Rouse Creek and at Anthracite Outdoors, two, two places in Pennsylvania where there's a lot of uh, off-roading done. And there's a gentleman who teaches classes in off-roading and what the vehicles are capable of and what you have to be mindful of as far as air pressure in your tires or clearance for going through water so you don't get air into your or water into your engine. All kinds of stuff that you wouldn't normally think about and, and agencies really need to consider if you have this off-road mandate to have that off-road training. That's a great point, Frank, especially, you know, with uh, keeping in mind that you need the training, um, not only in the special circumstances for, say, pickup trucks and uh, SUVs going off-road, but also with the UTVs, like we talked about. Um, I spoke to a department last year about how the um, sheriff's department in California, about how they use UTVs, uh, specifically the Polaris UTVs, to to get up into the mountains uh, for rescues. Uh, yep. They even they they performed a rescue in the snow. Um, I think they rescued like a half dozen people or so that were stranded up there and had UTVs with tracks on them. And you know, they, there's no other way they could have gotten to that spot um, without them. But that you know, he he said specifically that you need to have your officers trained. That he's had times where officers that aren't part of that rescue team try to get onto a UTV and just start driving it. And they'll just mess everything up. And so it's very important um, for the officer's safety and, you know, for, for the cost restraints. You don't want to have to make repairs that you wouldn't have to make if everybody was um, trained. Right. Uh, if everybody understood the capability. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So let, let's go ahead and uh, now move on to, yeah, I know, I know this is your favorite subject, uh, electric <laughs> police vehicles, right? So. Uh, th this is an article that's also going to run um, in the Vehicles and Fleet Special section in the November-December issue um, of Officer Magazine. It'll be out in about a week here from when we release this uh, episode of the podcast. And so th this article was written by Michael Benson, who is a former police chief. Um, and so I, I actually got to meet Michael at the station design conference in, um, in St. Louis this past year. And if you guys aren't familiar with the station design conference, we cover um, both, you know, uh, facility design for both uh, fire and, and law at this conference. And so he was kind of speaking to both um, audiences there. And while he comes from a fire background, um, he he deals as a um, consultant for you know electrification for uh, public safety for both law and fire, and um, conceded that you know in law enforcement, law enforcement's done a better job as far as uh, you know 
getting electric vehicles um, in fleets and doing a better job with getting things like solar panels on um, on facilities than fire has. So he, he definitely, uh, you know, lauded the efforts of law enforcement agencies to, to do some of these things. And, you know, it wasn't about saving the environment as much as it was, you know, saving money and being more efficient and um, what agencies can do, especially under very tight budgets. So, yeah, when, when we look at some of this stuff, Frank, you know, he, he definitely does say that, you know, that the technology is kind of catching up, uh, right. That, you know, when, when you think about using these vehicles, you can't, we just talked about rural areas. You can't use these vehicles where you're patrolling long, long stretches of like highway uh, that the batteries in the future that from what he says should catch up, um, but they're not there yet. So that that's definitely one of the things that we've talked about in the past. Um, what are some of the, if any benefits uh, that, that you kind of see of these vehicles? I'm sorry. You're going to ask me what the benefits of an electric vehicle. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, I think, Electric vehicles definitely have a place in law enforcement, but I'm, I don't think they have a place in the patrol vehicle category yet. Um, when, when you look at parking enforcement, when you look at um, code enforcement, when you look at um, small area uh, security, I think that they're great. I, you know, you, you can have it out there. It'll, it'll run for eight hours on the battery. It'll get you from A to B. You're not going into a pursuit situation. You're not going to find yourself in a position where it's got to last for 16 hours because you had to work a double shift. Perfect. Love it. But until we get to the point where an electric patrol vehicle will run constantly, and I mean constantly, for 16 hours on a single charge and then be capable of recharging as fast as I can refill the tank. So 10 to 15 minute recharge. For that 16 hour battery life then we've got a viable electric patrol vehicle uh, until then i think we're going to continue to see challenges you know law enforcement it fires the same way emergencies we can't pick and choose right we can't decide i'm going here or i'm not going there or sorry the patrol vehicle is not going to get me there so nobody's coming today that that's really not how we operate in public safety so um i think we've come a long way with electric vehicles i i think um, in the places where they focused on it and, and they understand that if you're going to run an electric vehicle, that, that's you're going to be your dedicated patrol vehicle for 24 hours. You need three, not one that you rotate between people. Um, so if you're comparing patrol vehicle to patrol vehicle and you're looking at savings, do the numbers change? Maybe not. I mean, maybe it's one to one and you're still saving money with an electric vehicle. Um I just am not sure that that recharge capability and, and the uptime out of a day uh, warrants this transition quite yet over to uh, electrified patrol vehicles. Yeah, what Michael uh, talks about in this article, too, is, you know, just exactly like you said, to be able to fill up a law enforcement EV in 15 minutes or less, um, that there has to be the infrastructure and he talks about mission critical microgrids and yeah like like exactly you you have to have the infrastructure and that's maybe way in the future um right now we really see 
the departments that are purchasing and using these um these EVs, it's either your very large police departments like the NYPD or the LAPD, um, where you know they're they're covering smaller spaces. Um and, and you know, they have more officers and more budget where they can do things like this. Or or it's your smaller departments where you only kind of have a couple officers and the chief decides that it's something that they really want to run with. And it's more of not a hobby, but like a, a passion that they have. So, yeah, it, it's one of those things where it's, yeah, it's not every department's not going to go out and buy a um, Ford Mach-E, say, tomorrow and and put it in the fleet. Um, but, yeah, at the same time, I, I do think that right now it is an interesting trend to take a look at. Um, Lieutenant. Definitely. Yeah, Lieutenant Darlington from the Michigan State Police, just going back to the uh, the vehicle evaluations over there, he said that the a, a couple things that um, fleet managers that he speaks to throughout the country, that's the first thing they'll talk about is the electric vehicles, and you know they'll they'll have long discussions about it. And the other thing they talked about is how his uh, staff that staff of drivers who do these evaluations just love the torque. You know, available and, and oh yeah, it's an immediate power delivery. There's no arguing that. Yeah, but but that also he did mention that you know, especially with the uh, the Maquis that they they run them lap after lap after lap, and that with that one you can kind of see the the overall lap times dip after you know the the end of end of the cycle there, um and and that yeah it's it's really that that instantaneous torque like the the zero to 60 speed that they they love and i i think when it comes to evs like we have seen a shift away from you know high speed pursuits can you kind of see where like like something like this you can you can get the point a to b but you probably (laughs) you're not going to be driving you know hours on end in this thing well, but that's the challenge is, is yeah. law enforcement does drive hours on it. Oh, you know, of course. When you're on patrol, yeah. you're going to stop here and there. But an eight hour shift, you're driving for seven, seven and a half hours of it. Yeah. Um, and the only the other the other only other negative thing I would observation I would make or, or outlook I would opine here. And we'll see how it goes is what happens when the EV reaches the end of its service life. Right. So right now we have the internal combustion engine vehicles, the ICE alternatives, uh, as he calls them. You know, when they get to the end of their service life, they're sold to surplus. They're, they're still viable. They're still usable. They're not pristine and new. And maybe the maintenance cost has got higher than is budgeted for the law enforcement agency or the municipality or whatever. So they sell them. And then that money comes back into the general fund. What happens with the electric vehicles? I, I, I'm curious to know, what's the service life? How are they disposed of? Because there's batteries. If the batteries go bad, that that's a whole nother cost. Um, or can they be surplused out? I think we're going to see this transition. It's going to take a decade at a minimum. Um, I think, uh, unfortunately with this, and I'm probably as guilty as the next guy, unfortunately, uh, electric vehicles have been politicized uh, ad nauseum, right? I mean, you, it, it seems like if if you're not in favor of electric vehicles, somehow you're evil and, and you hate the planet. And if you love electric vehicles, then somehow you're anti-law enforcement because you want to incapacitate us in our ability to patrol or, or chase or whatever. And th- there's... Neither one of those extremes is any good. I think this is a, a, a great new technology. Um, I think it still has a long way to go before it can be transitioned in 
Um, definitely some strengths, definitely some challenges, but it's it's a coming wave and we can't stop it. Yeah, I, I mean, my my take on it, Frank, and, we, you know, we've talked about this a lot is, yeah, it's not, you know, necessarily a political issue. It's more just a way for departments to possibly save some money uh, with, with maintenance costs. Um, you know, of course, with the, the batteries, that's what are the replacement costs of the batteries? You know, Michael says in this that they're lasting longer and longer. The battery packs still perform well, even after uh, 100,000 miles. Um, but it's it's really, you know, we're still early on in this whole thing. So oh, yeah. where is it going to take us? I mean, in the consumer market, I've seen, you know, a lot of my neighbors have Teslas now, which, you know, five years ago, you wouldn't see anybody with one of those things. And now it seems like half the community has them. So again, I don't think it's necessarily like a uh, environmental thing as much as it is like a cough savings thing. That's how people kind of view them now. So it. It is interesting, and it is they become more, um, more and more commonplace. I think you'll see them in law enforcement more. Um, yep. How long from now is that? I I don't know. Well, for what it's worth, uh, if I understand correctly, Dodge is bringing back the Charger uh, in 2025, but it's going to be a hybrid vehicle. It's going to be a gas electric hybrid, um, and and then you might see them come back into law enforcement a little bit. I think. Look, there's no avoiding the switch to electric vehicles, and I'm not saying that they're evil or bad. When I say it's been politicized, I mean, if you go sit in a city council budget meeting and you listen to the, to the chief make a case for new vehicles and you mention an electric vehicle, um, there's going to be a lot of discussion about public perception um, if they do get the electric vehicles or if they don't get the electric vehicles. And I guarantee you some politician somewhere is going to push um, not for value, not for savings, not for anything other than I, I can get a vote if somebody thinks I've, I've, I've supported the electric vehicle because that makes me echo friendly or whatever it is. Hmm. Unfortunately, the reality is it's politicized. Thankfully, in law enforcement, testing, budgeting and, and, uh, and uh, proposal process, purchase process, process all makes it so that the politics stay out of it 99%. Great. Well, yeah, Frank, I, I think this was a good um, discussion. It, it's always great when we can do this vehicles and fleet uh, supplement uh, each year. Uh, but, you know, everybody, of course, you guys should know that we have a vehicles and fleet uh, section uh, channel in the magazine and online where we cover a lot of this stuff um, daily and monthly. And so make sure you check that out. And also, of course, make sure that you check out the uh, November, December issue of Officer Magazine as well. We'll have both the Vehicles and Fleet special section and we'll have uh, the Station Design Awards in there as well as some kind of looking back at IECP and looking forward to SHOT Show coverage because SHOT Show will be here in uh, January. Indeed. So I, I would like to thank everybody uh, for joining us on this one and, you know, Stay safe, you know, be, get ready for the holidays because they're coming up quick. And is there anything you want to say before we sign off, Frank? Nope. Stay safe indeed. Hey, thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Officer Roll Call. Be sure to check back every two weeks for a new episode. Stay safe.